Join me, Nina Lockwood, as I talk with people who express their creativity in ways that can inspire the rest of us to recognize our own creativity. Because creativity is not just the domain of a select few. It's who we all are. And if you enjoy these conversations, please like, subscribe, and share them. Thank you. Hello, and welcome to Creativity Conversations. This is episode 52, I believe, and we are especially fortunate to have Greg Menendez with us today. Hey, Greg. Hey, Nina. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's going to be fun. So, Greg. No pressure. No pressure. <laughs> so, if you've been on these calls before, you know that what we basically do is spend an hour deconstructing creativity and how it shows up for everyone because we are, at least I am in the business of pointing people kindly but insistently that we are all creative and that creativity is who we are. So today with Greg I'm going to start by reading his bio and then we shall see where that takes us. So Greg is a facilitator and coach whose passion is to help people, teams, and cultures realize their potential. When Greg was just five years old, he asked his father, who's a doctor, why do we have two brains, pointing to the squiggly bit in the head and the stomach. Since then, he's held a deep fascination for how the brain and now the mind works. This fascination in human behavior led to a career in brand marketing, culminating with Greg being the marketing director at Nike New Zealand. There's an old adage in branding which says, strong brands are built upon an emotional connection. So Greg sought to understand how people emotionally connect. Fast forward, Greg spent over 25 years advising business owners and leaders in brand strategy. And he observed a curious pattern in performance variability, which didn't appear to be related to intelligence, industry experiences, or resources. So what was causing this variation in human performance? Greg was fortunate to come across a new paradigm for human psychology that profoundly changed his life and explained that variation in performance that he had both experienced and witnessed in his clients. And Greg now shares this paradigm full-time. Greg lives in New Zealand with his wife, Anna, and their three boys. Okay, then. Let's get this show on the road. Yeah, totally. What is your definition of creativity? <clears throat> um, <clears throat> my definition is um, there's two aspects to it. One is our ability to notice or surface um, new helpful thinking um, to have a new idea and that happens inside us but the other aspect is to create in the world which is to make real or to make or to manifest so to build something outside of us um, so I, to me there's two those two aspects and since you've had this fascination with psychology What's the mm. connection between the two? Um, for me, 
I noticed that now that I understand how, I, how psychology works or I've seen the truth of how it works, I realised that um, my experience is something that's created in me. I'm the creator and the experiencer of my experience. Um, before understanding how psychology works, I thought life was coming at me. Mm. And I thought the power was out there and um, it used to mess with me and um, hold me back and get in my way and create a lot of noise and inefficiency. Now that I see it's coming from me, the misunderstanding and the noise and inefficiency that comes with misunderstanding has been uh, subtracted out of my life. And as a result, I live in a lot more helpful new thinking. So, so I'm having helpful new ideas um, all the time in my life about every topic, which, create, which unlocks a lot of energy and curiosity and passion. Uh, and funnily enough, to give you an example, I, I used to have some unhelpful thinking in me. Part of my psychological noise was that I couldn't create in the world, which is a wacky idea, but, you know, we've all got some wacky thinking in us. And we're in life making our thinking true. So I was running around trying to create, us running around in life having new ideas, trying to bring them to life, but I couldn't because I had some previous thinking what you know that I couldn't create in the world and I was making that true. So I'd have these ideas, but I couldn't bring them to life, which is very frustrating. So I was in life winding myself up and, and I didn't know I was doing that to myself. So when I realised this, this um, psychological truth, the noise went, I lived in a lot more helpful thinking and I've been able to create in the world, which has been um, a big deal. It's been life-changing for me, so much so, as you say, I now teach this. Why do you think it is that it's so obscure that our thinking is generating our reality versus being dependent, uh, our, our perspective being dependent on external circumstances? Obscure as in hard for people to see? Yeah. <clears throat> That's a good question. I think that there's two aspects. Um, one is our reality, our experience is incredibly seductive. So we're con constantly getting seduced and duped by our reality. Um, so it, it looks like the and of course, that's what we can see with our physical eyes. Uh, but the flip side is that this understanding or um, the, the true nature and power of thought is invisible. Mm -hmm. And it's um, most people, when they come up against something invisible, they don't know how to look and see and make sense of the invisible. They don't know how to do it. So and they don't even they don't, they don't even know it's an option, so they don't they don't go there or they give up. Yeah, I think that's. I would tend to agree with that. I think because very few of us are taught anything about thoughts and where thoughts come from, other than 
in traditional psychology where we're always delving into our past and dredging up our traumas and but that doesn't really that's really only touches the surface it doesn't really get to the the mechanism by which we're perceiving reality yeah i i agree but maybe there's something going on before that because i think when we arrive in the world we can see what's invisible and we witness that in children when they play because they have an idea they go oh that's a good idea and then they bring it to life they 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 create and live when they play they are creating and living in an, in an imagination uh, which is all made up it's all invisible but they experience it and they have fun and they enjoy it and then they get their friends over and they do it together it's our natural way of being um and then we that gets beaten out of us when we go to school because the education system is a a, gl a glorified shrine to the intellect yeah and, and schools can't teach the invisible because they don't know how it works and they don't want to look stupid so they don't try um so our imagination gets beaten out of us and as adults we end up arguably being less creative than we are when we were children and it's that's been proven i remember i was on a workshop once in san francisco and we had a creative experiment you may have done this i can't remember the specifics but you get given some materials like um spaghetti sticks and some tape and some marshmallows and what you, you get a half a dozen or a dozen pieces of items you break into teams and you've, you've got to build the tallest structure um, it's quite a popular little experiment and um, globally they've measured the height of the structures that are built and kids beat adults every time because they they imagine they play they try they fail they learn from their mistakes they play some more they iterate and they build taller structures and adults um, have forgotten how to play and instead they um, get close, they plan, um, which is, it's only one letter difference, but it's, it's a completely different experience. Right. And, um, you know, when they plan, they come up short, literally. <laughs> Sorry to laugh, that was funny. <laughs> <laughs> so I think, I think um, you're right. Psychology tries to teach us, which is unfortunate because I think the most of I think most of the psychological theory in the world is incorrect. Um, but I think the real travesty happens before that. And I think um, I loved my school years and I learned a lot and it was really helpful. But it was heavily weighted to the IQ and the visible and it had no, had no emphasis towards um, the invisible. If you wanted to contrast it with IQ, it had no... It didn't lean towards EQ or the invisible at all. That's all stuff that I had to self-teach myself later in life because my IQ wasn't giving me the happiness and productivity and success that I think life naturally offers. Yeah, and don't you think that that's very common? It's not just a few wackos like us who have that experience, but that, that emphasis on... IQ is is so overwhelming and overpowering to the impulse to play. Totally. I think that um, 
the world is for them in the main part psychologically obese and i think our psychological obesity is a i've got to be i've got to choose my words but i think it's a bigger pandemic than the current virus of the day and um it's it's equally as unhelpful and abhorrent but in a different way can you say more about that Well, I know in my life when I didn't realize how the mind works, um, I lived in my head, overthinking. So I was psychologically obese. I was running around in life feeling insecure and unsafe and insignificant and less than, and I couldn't create, blah, blah, blah. I had my own little um, party going on upstairs with, you know, a whole lot of made up shortcomings about myself and life. And then ego shows up because my ego is there to try and make me happy and productive and safe. And I was unaware that I was insecure and I was unaware that I had ego. And yet I was, I was doing the best I could. And how that looked is that sometimes I would um, come up short or misbehave or be harmful and hurtful to others, which was never my intent, but that was the best I could do at that time. And um, I didn't have an open mind. And it's only having, it's only when working, when I reflect on my journey and when I work with clients, what I notice is that when people's minds open, it's natural for their hearts to open. Um, in fact, they, it, it happens together. And living with an open heart is, I think, the only way to experience. Um, the gift of life. Mm. Well, and there's a, lot, there's a lot of people running around that that aren't open-minded or open-hearted, and they they live in scarcity and fear, and that just um, perpetuates. And um, if you look at um, what we've created in the world, if you look at, um, for instance, food and the um, industrialized way that we live, and the industrialized food system. You know, the food system is all based on scarcity and making profit for a few shareholders. Um, another way of saying that, Nina, is it's devoid of love. Mm -hmm. So we are eating food which um, has no love. Um, you know, and I, you know, one of my clients, as an example, um, when he eats pizza in the US, he gets quite sick. Um, when he travels to Italy and he eats pizza, he doesn't big clue there because when they make pizza in Italy they do it with love the ingredients going to the market the person growing the tomatoes the person making the pizza it's full of love and he enjoys it without any reaction and that's the opportunity we have for the world and our society as a whole I think it's a, a wonderful point you're making there's a, a terrific documentary called Salt, Fat, Acid, and Heat uh, that was made by a woman who is a chef and a well-known chef from the San Francisco area. And one of the things that came through in that documentary over and over and over again, I think she starts in Italy and goes to Japan and travels the world and talks about different components of cooking, was how much love 
these uh, farmers and uh, people who were producing food, how much love they actually put into what they were doing. In, in generational families who've been raising pigs for you know hundreds of years or um, creating soy sauce that takes months and months and months to actually go through the refining process rather than 30 days you know and it was really remarkable and I, th I think you're right I think that there's an energy to it that is missing in in most places even if you trick up a plate to make it look beautiful it just mm -hmm. doesn't have that vibe to it yeah totally yeah yeah i mean and we know this is true if you look at professor emoto's work from japan right. he would take water and play music or write words on it and photograph the crystals as they shifted from you know, ambient temperature to freezing and, and they'd form an ice crystal and he'd take a photograph of it. And uh, of course, it's all vibration, it's all energy. And um, when he put love on the test tube, it would create a beautiful crystal. Yes. Um, in fact, I used to have a raw vegetable juice company um, in New Zealand um, a few years ago. And um, I was aware of that. And we actually called the business Love Juice so that it was actually part of the name. We had a heart as the logo. And um, we told our staff about this and we told them to look after themselves and be grounded and be in a loving place when they actually, as they drove to work and while they were doing their jobs at work, because we were all about um, encapsulating love and giving it to our clients via the juice, the, you know, via raw vegetable juice. That's great. <laughs> You know what I wanted to ask you was you had talked about in uh, branding, strong brands build an emotional connection. And mm. I wonder if you can talk about that emotional connection in light of this different way of looking at things kind of from the inside out rather than outside in. Yeah, yeah. No, thank you for that question. I um what comes to mind when I worked at Nike, I was, um, do you remember a chap, a comedian called um, Dick Van Dyke? Of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, he was, he was clever. I, I mean, I used to watch his show in New Zealand. But when I was at Nike, I was very fortunate that the head of brand marketing at that time was Dick Van Dyke's son, Chris Van Dyke, um, which, um, and he, he, too, he too was a funny guy. And um, Chris Van Dyke said something one day, which was, um, it's very easy to um, get, um, um, excuse me, you still hear me? Yes. Yeah, sorry, my, um, I've got a new computer and Siri for some reason woke up. Um, Chris Van Dyke said something once, he said, it's very easy in life and branding and business to get mind space or headspace because you can just buy another billboard and stick it up somewhere. The real trick is to get is to create heart space. Mm. Um, and that really touched me and I, it's impacted all of my work and branding. And ultimately, um, I think that you, it's all about finding what is, what do you care about? What's near and dear to you? What do you love doing? Tell the world what you love doing and why you love doing it. And you will naturally attract people who love what you love. And when that happens, you create a 
um, a naturally abundant, thriving ecosystem of provider customer, mm-hmm. and um, and good things will, will will sprout and grow from that. So um, that that's the opportunity we've got. And I looked at psychology to try and understand how people emotionally connected. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm dyslexic, so looking at psychology was um, probably a foolish thing to try because it had a lot of long words. There's lots of like, uh, I don't know why I don't know why they use such long words. It's like they're trying to confuse us. You know, it's like you're trying to actually educate me or confuse me. But anyway, um, <laughs> to me, the analogy that came to my mind, Nina, is that psychology looked like a um, a rubbish bin or in your part of the world, a trash can full of fifty different species of snake. Each snake, each different species was a different psychological theory. And they were in the sunshine. They were in the limelight for an hour saying, pick me, I'm the truth, pick me. But then, you know, when their hour was up, they would be subsumed by another snake. I.e., it's just a a big argument. It's a big bag of confusion. And when people are locked in argument, it's it's a tell. And what it tells us is that they haven't arrived at the truth. So I put the books down and stopped looking because I figured the truth didn't live there. It was just a, a debate going on pre-truth. Well, it is interesting how psychology will categorize people's symptoms and then diagnose it. Well, they're doing this, this, and this, so that means they are this and that label. And again, we've talked about this before a little bit, but that idea that we're starting from a place of being broken just seems the the wrong starting point. Oh, totally. Totally. Yeah. Um, one, one thing I love about the work I do, and I guess it's the same for you, is that everyone I meet, I know that they are fundamentally healthy, happy, and whole. And um, that's how I see them. It's how I greet them. And which means there is no judgment. It means that a safe place, our place is safe. My connection with them is safe. And I think safety is critical for people to have insight and for transformation to occur. And, um, it also gives us the opportunity to lean on the wisdom that pre-exists in them to guide and support them. So it's um, it's actually not on us, which is pretty cool. Yeah. And, you know, I, I just wanted to touch on this point that you made about safety, because I think that when we're kids and we create stuff, there's no concern about safety. We do something, it doesn't work. Okay, let's try something else. How about this? try that let's do this but the older we get the more there's really something on the result that we have so it becomes for many people it becomes less safe to create and to improvise and to go with the flow even though that's such a popular term these days that kind of uh, conditioning that we get with the emphasis on the uh, intellect and the results and uh, excellence and perfection that it's harder to just let go because people are so worried about the consequences well it's got to look good people have to like it they have to like me rather than just oh let's just do it for the fun of it Mm. 
Yeah, I think um, you're exactly right. I think there's a survey running around which looks at people's engagement and um, it might be Gallup that do this survey, but 68% of people are disengaged um, in, the work, in the workforce. Or it could be only 68% are engaged. Either way, it's a terrible metric um, because it points to the fact that we're not really engaged with life. And, you know, we get a lot of ego at work and a lot of unusual practices and lots of politics and, you know, stabbing in the back and withholding a lack of play and flow. But I think the most ironic thing is that when you ask people, when do they have their best ideas or their breakthrough ideas? And it will be when they are in the shower or go for a walk or playing with the kids or walking the dog or going for a bike ride or a swim, whatever it is. And when you ask them about that, you ask them if they are actually thinking about the problem about which they just have insight. And they go, no, not often I'm not thinking about it. Or if I am, it's just gently, reflectively. Yet when they go to work and they solve a problem, it's like the problem is on their desk and they treat their brain or their head as the nutcracker trying to crack, trying to crack the nut. And they sit at their table, headbutting the problem, trying to find a solution. Yet they know they get their best ideas when they're walking, swimming, or in the shower. So, you know, the the act of working um, is fundamentally designed incorrectly, based on that one insight. You're better off letting people. Um, in fact, they did this in the advertising industry back in the '60s or '70s. They thought that insight lived in the shower head, so they built a lot of showers in advertising industries. So, if the creative team didn't come up with a solution, they'd sort of go, just go and have a shower, sort it out, you know, give me, come back with a creative solution. Right. <laughs> um, and there's not enough play at work, for sure. Yeah. So I would be really interested to know, and I don't know that there are statistics about it yet, but there are many innovative organizations that set up play opportunities for play within their organizations i would be really interested to know how effective that is in getting people to come at solutions in a way that isn't just intellectually oriented do you have any idea um no i don't but what comes to mind is speaking for myself i when I did brand strategy work, often you'd end up trying to um, solve an incredibly complex problem. And I would have insight, which solved the problem. And I'd be very grateful because I'd go like, that's it. And when I looked at the solution, there were often aspects to the solution that I've never actually witnessed in my life before, i.e. there was actually like genuinely new things that just sort of showed up. And I was always blown away by the clarity, power, and simplicity and newness of insight. Um, and I used to, um, I guess I was a bit of a geek, but I used to count them because... Um, <laughs> Did that help? No, no. It was just a sort of a, a, a factoid, an interesting factoid. It didn't help. And I, I used to have two or three a year. And um, I tried to increase that um, Everything I everything I did to try and increase my insights, none of it worked. <laughs> like, and some of the stuff I did was pretty wacky, um, but um, none of it illegal. But none of it worked. And um, then I, when I saw these, when I realised how the mind works, 
which itself takes insight because that's that's a non-intellectual phenomena you know um it's it's our it's our mind's eye seeing something not the physical eye yeah. i went from two or three insights a week to two or three insights sorry two or three insights a year to two or three insights a week sometimes a day often a day and that's the same for my clients and when i work with teams corporate teams i remember working with one team the ceo gave them a problem to solve and they they solved it with a breakthrough with insight with a breakthrough new solution in 18 minutes flat and i asked them i said how long, how long would that have normally taken back at work and they said oh weeks if not months and having worked in the corporate world i went yeah yeah that's fair and i said to what level of quality because they they came up with a really lovely idea and i said what sort of quality of solution would you have got back in the office and they said average at best and i thought that was a bit harsh and i turned to the ceo and i asked him i said that's a bit harsh what do you think and he goes no that's fair that solution i've just witnessed is if i paid an external creative agency a lot of money to come up with a solution and that's what a lot of businesses do they outsource their creativity because they don't realize it's freely available and sourced mm. so what do you think if you could name a couple of the factors that made it possible for those people to come up with a solution in 18 minutes what would you say they were well With respect, I think that's a tricky question or a dangerous. Any way you'd like. With it, I think it's a it's a dangerous question because um, I think the condition for success is a living, intelligent phenomena that's available inside us, and it will do whatever it needs to do to give us the answer. Um, and realizing how that works is transformative and it and out the language that we use is that you know you are you just live a more grounded life and when we're grounded it's natural for us to have insight um giving someone some conditions because I, I think life is the condition if we give someone conditions it's a bit like saying you need to look for and or create this to have this. And it sort of perpetuates the myth that the power lives outside us as opposed to the fact that it's actually alive inside us. So how can well, you point, I probably oh, should have mis rephrased that question. What, what do you share with people that gives them more of a sense of that living creativity, that living potential? Are you asking what do I teach or how do I teach it or something else? Anything you'd like to say to respond to that? Um, well, it's interesting, actually, because this morning um, I was talking to a, um, a wonderful human being um, not too far from you. He's in Boston. And we have we talk every one or two months and we have wonderful conversations. And um, by his own admission, he's a um, a materialist, so he believes he believes in the um, what you can see and the black and whiteness of life. Um, but we had a conversation, and um, he's got a little bit of um, a very very small health issue. He's got some pain in his body, and we talked about it. 
And he mentioned something else in the conversation and my mind drew a connection between those two things uh, for me that showed up in me. Uh, one of the cool aspects of insight is that what is true for us or true for whatever it is we're looking at will resonate, will resonate inside us as insight. We feel that. Mm. It resonated in me as being true. And so I shared the connection with him. And it rang true for him. And I, I, and I essentially said, you know, did you notice that? Did, did it resonate in you or ring true? And he went, yeah. And I went, cool. And I said, how do you explain that as a materialist? Uh, but she can't. I mean, materialism can't explain consciousness. Right. And that's a classic uh, ongoing arg argument in the spiritual world. Is it consciousness what supports everything or is it matter into which matter encourages consciousness to be first it's like the chicken and the egg question yeah well albert albert einstein's got some lovely words and phrases around that very around that very topic I actually um on my last workshop gave my clients a two-sided document about albert einstein so there could be something here that i read out um i just need to find it so I think um, essentially when I work with people, I have them slow down, I connect with them and understand what they'd like to achieve in life. And we just go on a journey, which is, um, it's a, it's a, you know, my workshops are three days long. I think most people in our, in our industry spend that amount of time with people. And that's been proven over time that it takes that much time at the moment for people to see something. Most people have that aha moment on day three. <laughs> so it's a um, it's a really important conversation, but it appears to be a uh, a long conversation. Um, it may change in its duration over time, but at the moment, it's a it's an important and a long conversation. And I try and be as playful as I can with my clients because I think that helps lower their guard and their defences. And I've been fortunate to be trained by a couple of gentlemen based in um, Boston who have been teaching this understanding to Fortune 100 companies for 20 years. So um, I essentially run a bunch of experiments with people, which helps people to see their psychology up and running in them in the moment, which itself is quite rare. Um, so we run a bunch of experiments and then people get lots of breaks and it's when they go for a walk on the beach or they walk to the cafe for a coffee in the morning. It's, it's in that downtime that they have the aha moment. So I encourage them to relax. The more they relax, the more they see. And when they have that aha moment, the mind is stitching all of these exper experiments together into a single mosaic. And then they see the truth of how it works with the mind's eye. And that's a, um, people pivot. That's a, it's a transformational moment in people's lives um, because they pop out um, more grounded um, and they realize that they're already happy. Happiness doesn't live out there, it pre-exists on the inside. And um, they live in more wisdom and common sense, creativity, breakthrough thinking. So they're happier, they are more productive. And because the mind is hardwired for success, they enjoy more success and abundance in their, in their life. Mm. And I think um, it's actually critically important now that people live there, get there and live there because 
when people are happy, productive, successful, and abundant in their life, they will also be those things in their business. Mm. And when people have spare time, money, and their hearts are open, i.e. they care, and they've got everything they need for themselves and their family, it's natural as human beings to care for your community and or the environment. And they, they are then equipped to make changes in, in the world outside us. And um, that at the moment seems to be critically important because we environmentally we appear to be going to hell in a, in a handbasket. And we need people to be happy and productive and successful and abundant and caring so they can actually help restore the environment to its former glory. I'm so glad you're bringing this up because I wanted to talk to you about this uh, in the light of sustainability because I know that's something that you're interested in. So can you talk more about this? Well, I think this psychological understanding that we share has, I, th I believe, on one level, you can look at it from lots of ways, but I think it is a new model for systemic sustainability for mankind. Mm because it makes someone sustainable inside themselves, inside their psychology, inside their experience of life. Uh, and when that happens, it means that they can create in the world and make the world more sustainable. But most people who make, I shouldn't say most people, a lot of the people that I know who try and make the world more sustainable are doing it from a place where they are not sustainable inside themselves. So that model fundamentally is not sustainable. Can you give an example of that? When you say not sustainable in themselves, what would that mean? Well, I when I look at my own life, I was into um, sustainability and I attracted um, sustainable clients. But my pursuit of sustainability was actually making me unsustainable because I had some thinking in me about myself and life that I was unaware of, some unhelpful thinking that I was making true. And um, that wasn't helpful. And we, we could get into the details, but um, I wasn't healthy. I wasn't um, financially as successful as I could be. Um, if you go back even further, um, I, was, um, I didn't have um, sustainable relationships. So insight, um, realizing how the mind works, therefore having insight enabled me to, um, one of the beautiful aspects of insight is it can reveal and subtract nonsense out of our life. And um, when, when I'm free of the nonsense, you know, you, you're free, which is cool. So, so now I'm, 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 I'm happy and productive and successful. And because that, that is the fundamental design. And that means I have now free capacity to, help others. And I collaborate with a wonderful um, teacher of this work, Rolf, who you've interviewed. And Rolf and I run programs on Zoom and we actually want to work with people who are making the world a better place so we can plug them into the power of mind, power them up so that they can be more powerful in their endeavours because we, what we need to have people who are making the world a better place more powerful so they can affect their change more quickly. Yeah. Very true. So I think if we can unlock, what I'm seeing is that this psychological truth is like a systemic sustainability inside ourselves. 
And once we live there, we can then create sustainability outside ourselves because that's what the internal systemic sustainability affords us. Mm. Does that make sense? It makes a lot of sense. And uh, I think that it speaks to something very fundamental that many of us and much of the world overlooks, which is this we spoke about a little bit earlier, that sense of wholeness and completeness, who we really are as part of our fundamental identity, that so many efforts to make things sustainable, to make change, are not based on that. They're, they're based in a sense of lack. And we've got to do something to make it better rather than coming from a place of already betterness. Um, could you say that another way? I'm not too sure what the question was there. <laughs> sure. I was just thinking that that if if someone doesn't feel like they have potential or that they have a capacity to create, to be insightful, that their solutions to their problems are out there and we have to go search for them out there, it makes the whole process of having those breakthroughs coming up with new solutions much, much, much harder than if we already know that that is a reliable dynamic that exists in our minds. Totally. Uh, yeah, no, I, I agree wholeheartedly. I mean, we're all doing the best we can. And if that's the only option that you're aware of, it's all you've got. Mm -hmm. But in the grander scheme of sustainability, that if that is our only option, that is tantamount to rearranging the deck chairs on the Titanic. Right. And I sometimes ponder if we have enough time to faff with the chairs on the Titanic. Yeah. Um, I don't think we have. And, um, you know, if people create from lack, they're just going to create lack outside them. Yeah. So why not come home inside yourself where you're already whole? and naturally abundant and create, it's already awesome on the inside. You can just create more awesomeness on the outside. Um, <laughs> now that's a very simple way of putting it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, I think simplicity's, simplicity can be advantageous, right? I, and I think it's highly underrated because simplicity often for many people has a connotation of being, you know, elementary childish. yeah 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 devoid of intelligence right hence hence you know psychological obesity right <laughs> exactly yeah the, the ego doesn't like simplicity oh no there's nothing to chew on <laughs> exactly <laughs> yeah 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 but i mean you know the, the, one of the that's one of the wonderful things about insight is that they are they're deft aren't they they they, they often have a, a speltness a simplicity to them which yeah. which which defies all logic yeah which it should do because it's a non it's an it's an illogical process it's not of the logic right hmm. this makes me think which is a little bit of a, a side tour here but about it's dangerous don't don't think too hard i won't <laughs> the energy that is in that process 
of insight, of aha moments, is of, of a very, you know, high, clean uh, vibration. And that makes such a difference in the ability to not just have the idea come to you, but execute it as well. Because it's not, as you say, psychologically, it's, you know, we, we overthink. And I think energetically, when we get into our heads and we overthink everything and we second guess ourselves and we talk ourselves out of it, that energy is very low and it doesn't, it, it's not generative. It doesn't allow us to come up with stuff because it's like that scarcity mentality, only it's it's fraught with complication and and a vibration that is sticky and just doesn't provide an ease for ideas to come through. Hmm. Yeah, it's it's um I agree. My, I, I find when I overthink, it's like a black hole and it it's um it takes energy, it's energy sapping. Yeah. Um, and in chemistry, they would call that endothermic because it, it takes energy. Mm-hmm. Whereas insight is the opposite. It's like an energy release. Yeah. In chemistry, that would be exothermic, and it has a an um, an energy or a vitality to it, mm-hmm. um, or a vibration. It's all the same thing. Um, thankfully, um, we notice that. Otherwise, how could we discern insight? Yeah, uh, we couldn't. And of course, sometimes it can um, it can it can give us energy in the form of inspiration, which leads to inspired action and inspired results. And when people live an endothermic life and the energy gets sapped, you know, it will slowly decrease and sawtooth down over time, and you end up losing your mojo. And um, if that carries on, you'll get depressed, right? And uh, I mean, I, I I I got depressed for a while. And um, everything in my life went pear-shaped. And I got out of it with one insight, um, which was amazing. Um, so it's really nice. I think I think to be alive, it's life is inherently a vital experience. It, vitality is built in. And we have the we have the we have we have the capacity to take to take energy, psychological energy from life via insight, which can energize us, and we can use that to create amazing things in the world um and it's 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 you know you have a good time it's good fun and why not have good fun totally it's amazing how many people think that life isn't supposed to be fun yeah well this morning i um um i I played some music I, i had a client um on a workshop last week and their initials are kc and and um, this morning I had this I I was reminded of a of a, um, a band when I was young. You probably know it called KC and the Sunshine Band. Oh yes. I can't remember how they looked, but I remember their songs. And um, so I loaded Spotify and I had that blaring um, in my office, which was cool. And I was I busted out a little shimmy in the office. Um, <laughs> Fancy that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like uh, you know. It's a good thing. I mean, how many how many people dance at work? Not enough. Or at home. Yeah, yeah, totally. So, like, I I try and dance every day, but I I don't have a checklist. I don't have it. I don't keep a gratitude a gratitude journal and 
a list of rituals that I need to do to have insight. Like if I'm inspired to dance, I'll bust out a shimmy. And if I, if I don't, I don't. It's, I, I sort of let mine guide me. And then curiously, um, that person and another person rang on a three-way call as I, as I had the music playing. So I was able to play the music to yes. them. Um, because, you know, my, the mind and insight is like sunshine in our life. And um, I was reminding her that she, she's got this backing band um, full of goodness available for her, mm. which is pretty cool. And I, my, our job is just to remind people that that's, what's, that's, that it's there. Yeah. Because school has us forget. Yeah. You know what I'm wondering from what you're just saying is how, I don't know that you can answer this, I'll just put it out there as a wondering, the, I, the connection between insight and synchronicity and coincidence, because it often seems to me that when you have that aha moment, just as you described when you're playing music and then the calls come in that something gets released or triggered or invited to show up without any arranging on our parts yeah well i, th I think insight is an act of synchronicity in, in and of itself um and People, when people realize that we're not in control of our experience and we don't need to be in control of our experience, we can respond to whatever life throws at us based on what shows up in the moment. We live, we naturally live life more like a cat, you know, because we're relaxed and the cat will respond if something happens, but it's not sitting there pensive, tight as a ball, psychologically obese waiting to respond which is how most people live yeah. and then you know you see that life itself as a dance and you don't take your experience too seriously and when you don't take your experience too seriously you naturally have some more in insight and you can feel the truth of whatever's on your mind instantaneously it's like a form of spiritual instant gratification which is good it's not like candy it's good and, and that guides you through life because if I look at my journey to where I am now, it's been a perfect mess. I couldn't have created how I got here. Um, we are not the architect and we don't, we don't need to be. Yeah. I bet, uh, here's a question for you I, because I, I'm, I have an answer already in mind, but I'm interested in yours is that so many of us are conditioned to believe we have to have the answer, that we can't let go of control because everything will fall apart if we do. So I'm wondering and, if there's a connection between that need to hold on and keep everything in place with how long it takes people to slow down and settle down. Because you were talking about how it often takes a couple days before People really can take a deep breath and not feel encumbered by all of their problems. Yeah, 
Well, I think you're pointing to a true phenomena. And I had to pick on the education system, but part of it is related to schooling because they, um, you know, that we have tests and you can be right or wrong. And um, avoiding being wrong is just a form of control. Uh, wanting to be right is just another form of control. And how we, um, how we, be right or how we be right and how we be more safe for most people the path to get there is psychological because that they don't they don't realize that they can get there by relaxing and playing they don't they just don't know it's an option so um i think that i think when people think that they need to control in life and there'll be some thinking behind that that's what contributes to overthinking and psychological obesity. Yeah. That makes a lot and, of sense. Yeah, and people when people do that, they they it's a bit like they're doing their own thinking for themselves. And when people do that, for the most part, they're just leaning on what they already know. So most of the thoughts they are accessing, if they could smell their thinking, they would have a whiff of staleness to them. Yeah. Recycled. Yeah, yeah, because it's all old. Um, whereas mind can, it's this living intelligence and it beats your heart and has your lungs breathe and it heals the cuts on your hand and it blinks your eyes. It's, it's running the whole system. It can do your thinking for you too, which is pretty cool. And, uh, when people have that insight to how it works, I think what comes with that, there is a surrender that comes with that insight and you lose you stop holding on to your personal thinking system so tightly. Your grip is loosened. And that creates a crack in the spiritual door. Mm. And then it's game on, right? So there's a relationship between creativity, play, and spirituality. Totally. Totally. But I think I think spirituality's had a bad rap. I think well, um I mean, <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Well it's um I mean some people would say that um that's what gave birth to materialism. Um, you know, the the church system got too powerful, but that would be a different call. Um I think spiritually's got spirituality's got a bad rap because people don't understand it and they think it's woo-woo. Yeah. And I, I make a point to people that the mind is invisible, it's formless, um, but it's alive and living in you and you can feel it. It's like a, it's like a, um, it's like a force field or a f we're living in a field of intelligence. And people know that to be true because they realize that ins insights are not the result of effort. They are not man-made. They are mind-made, mind man-received. So you can prove that this is the case. Um, so just lost my way for a second. So when, when something is formless or spiritual, sorry, when something is invisible or formless, calling it spiritual is an appropriate adjective because spiritual is of no form. Mm -hmm. um, but some people think that spiritual, spirituality is um, religion or right, dogma. woo-woo or whatever. Yeah. And, and it's not. It's just the invisible all it is it's not a big deal yeah. profoundly helpful it's a big deal, but it's just not 
well understood. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So there, but there is a link to creativity, of course, because um, that invisible, formless, spiritual, living intelligence in life, which you know we call mind, but you could call it soul or life force or whatever, is is has got your back. It's designed to make you more um, productive and successful in life. And when you look at the, the insights that people have, you realize that they're all wholesome. They're all helpful. You know, in, insights don't harm and they can't take you backwards. Right. So it's a, it is a beautiful thing to surrender to and to fall into mm-hmm. because then you are guided and supported through life and you can have more helpful, positive, transformative impact in the world, which that's our role as leaders. And it's we happen to be in a place and time where it's, sorely needed well that's a really good way of saying it and besides it feels really good yeah totally like you get <laughs> to, that part <laughs> exactly you get to enjoy the ride right yeah right instead of feeling responsible for it oh yeah no it's a good it's a good ride for sure shall i find that quote from albert einstein yes please do and then um, what I'd love to do once you find, let me know when you found it, but what I'd love to do once you share that is talk a little bit about the mind-body connection. Oh, yeah, yeah, cool. Okay. Um, so I'll just ramble off a couple of things. Concerning matter, we've been, we have been all wrong. What we call matter is energy, whose vibration has been so lowered as to be perceptible to the senses. Matter is spirit reduced to the point of visibility. There is no matter. So that's in the realm of quantum physics. Yes. Time and space are not conditions in which we live, but modes by which we think. Physical concepts are free creations of the human mind and are not, however it, however it may seem, determined by the external world. Mm. Like, you know, time is made up. It's, it's a man-made concept. And then you've got people that are, you know, trying to manage time. They're, they're trying to manage a, a man-made concept, which to me seems pretty kooky. Like, it's like, that's pretty pretty out there. Uh, time does not, here we go, time does not exist. We invented it. Time is what the clock says. The distinction between the past, present, and future is only a stubbornly persistent illusion. Um. Here we go. I think 99 times and find nothing. I stop thinking, swim in silence, and the truth comes to me. Oh, that's yummy. Isn't that beautiful? Yeah, that's a good one. The intellect has little to do on the road to discovery. There comes a leap in consciousness. Call it intuition or what you will. The solution comes to you and you don't know how or why. A human being experiences himself, his thoughts and feelings as something separated from the rest, a kind of optical delusion of consciousness. This delusion is a kind of prison prison for us, restricting us to our personal desires and, and to affection for only a few persons nearest to us. Our task must be to free ourselves from this prison by widening our circle of compassion to embrace all living creatures and the whole of nature in its beauty. 
our separation from each other is an optical illusion. There's more, but like I'm a big fan of Albert, as you can probably tell. I, I, I hardly knew what he was about or how he saw the world. And the more I find out, the more I'm enamored. Wow. He was an amazing individual. Yeah, I mean, I think he was I think he was the E equals M C squared guy, right? He was. <laughs> so, um and that that's which was a big deal, but I, I think there's more juice in this. Well, it his his way of of coming up with solutions was play the violin, take a nap. I don't know if it was taking a shower, but, <laughs> but letting go of it. And that is in the nature of the whole creative process. You assemble some data, you're pointing yourself in a direction, and then you just let go of it. Yeah. And then the answers start to pop into your mind. Well, I think as we let go, we actually handball it to mind and it, it can do the heavy lifting for us. Thank goodness. <laughs> so the mind-body the mind body connection. Yeah, we don't have too much time to talk about it, but I love to just dance around it a little bit because I know you've had some experiences with understanding something about the mind that has changed your physical uh, well-being and other people as well. Yes, yeah, so I used to suffer from a chronic uh, sore back, lower back. I used to work at Nike, as you mentioned in my in the introduction. Thank you. And um, I love Nike dearly, but before I went to Nike, I used to run a lot, and I used to run an Asics, Asics or Asics brand shoes because they worked for me. And Nike back then, to my mind, didn't make the best shoes and. I could get a lot of them because I was just getting free. <laughs> and I, but I put my back out. And uh, anyway, so this, the, the, this, the punchline is I had insight and it fixed my lower back, um, which is really helpful, as you can imagine, because I'd spent a lot of money and time trying to fix it with yeah. physical interventions. And some of those are really helpful, but nothing gave me the ultimate cure. I've always had an interest in um, health and well-being. My, I noticed my clients having insights and their health and well-being would shift. And some of them were having what the doctors would call incurable disease, um, literally being cured or leaving their body with one insight, which of course made me very curious. And this happened over, over 20 or 30 clients and some of the conditions were pretty gnarly. Um, and then I was fortunate to have, a, I guess, a systemic insight and I saw the universal constant or what was common to all of those situations. And essentially, um, I'm going to create a business around this because essentially it is the mind-body connection. Um, the mind-body connection has the capacity to create disease in the body. And it's using that same capacity in reverse to subtract it out of the body. Mm. Which when you say it like that is remarkably simple. And it is simple. People just need to see how it works. And um, so it would be nice to have less suffering in the world. Um, it'd be nice to be able to create a, some new awareness or understanding in the medical fraternity of how this works, but I'm not too sure how open-minded that fraternity is. It's become, the medical industry has become industrialised, which is unfortunate. Um, and um, we'll wait and see what happens. But it fascinates me. And I think when we live and work in our fascination, 
um, we have a great life. Well, that is really a wonderful point to live and work in our fascination. I bet you there are so many people who never stop to ask themselves, what are they fascinated by? I couldn't agree more. And I think that there are fascinations inside us we haven't yet seen, mm. which is great. I mean, I love that idea. But most importantly, fascinations are not a, again, they're not a man-made creation. What fascinates me and what fascinates you, that's a reveal. It's, it's revealed to us via insight. And we aren't in control of that reveal and we don't need to be. But when it is revealed and you surrender to it and you play there, that is the best ride. It's like being asked to dance. Yeah, totes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like it's like life saying, "Here, do you want to come up to the dance floor and right. shimmy, with, shimmy with me for the rest of your time? It's like, right. yeah, I'm down with that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Well, I don't know how we did it, and I never know, but these conversations go so fast, and I think we're at the top of our hour. Is there one other thing or two other things you would like to share and then to let people know how they can find you, what you're up to these days? I know you've got a couple workshops going on. Yeah, um, I can't think of um, much else to share other than to say thank you. I've really enjoyed it. Um, it's been a real treat. Um, meeting you and getting to know you and I've thoroughly enjoyed our conversation. So thank you for the opportunity. Oh, thank you. And um, I guess I think when people to hark back to what we said at the start about branding, you know, just get clear on what you love and tell the world what you love. And then you'll find people who love what you love. And that creates like a little ecosystem. And of course, uh, what fascinates us is what we love. It's just different language pointing to the same thing. Yeah. Um, but I see I've, I've struggled a lot through my life and um, but life doesn't have to be that way. So I encourage people to look in this direction um, because it's um, not only transformational, it's infinitely rewarding. Mm. and um, we can be more successful and um, we can we're all leaders and it, it, it unlocks our leadership potential and then once we are successful inside our own psychology and family and business we are then freed to lead and make the world a better place and we need more leaders like that than ever before because we need to um, shift the dial and change the trajectory that humanity is on and, and also the, you know, our environment that we live in. Yeah. Um, as far as getting hold of me is concerned, um, my business is called Like Never Before. Love that um, name. Yeah, yeah, and that's what happens, right? When people have that realisation, their life is like never before. So, I mean, I'm the branding guy. I guess I have to come up with a good brand name, right? <laughs> well um, yeah, it was actually that was insightful because normally I would that was like that to me was the strap line. I'm going, what can I call my brand? And then my insight was just use the strap line as your brand name, and that's what I did. So, uh, so people can Google Greg Menendez or like never before, and um, they can reach out and have a free conversation and see what makes sense. Um, they could work with me, or I can introduce them to others like like your good self or my um, colleague Rolf. There are um, a bunch of people around the world now teaching this yeah 
And you're, uh, you have a workshop coming up on Zoom? Yeah, so Rolf and I, last year, we had to cancel a workshop because of COVID. New Zealand's been quite good with COVID. We've pretty much um, been free range here. Mm. Um, but last year, I did have to cancel a workshop because of COVID lockdown. And I reached out to Rolf. He's my, my collaborator. He's based in Boulder, Colorado. He's a lovely human being. And um, I said, oh, Rolf, should we run a program online on Zoom? And he went, oh, I don't know if it'll work. And I went, yeah, I don't think it, yeah, I'm not sure either. But it seemed to be a, an experiment worthy of running. And uh, it was a huge success. People went deeper more quickly and saw more than they would in person, which blew us away. Yeah. Like, yay for Zoom. <laughs> and, um, you know, COVID's a shit sandwich. I get that. But a lot of good has come out of COVID. Mm-hmm. And... Um, you know, people spend more time with their families and they walk more and they bake bread and no one's going back to, I love that no one's going back to the office five days a week. <laughs> like if working was such a great thing, they would swarm back in their throngs, but they're not. People are only going back two or three days a week and there's a big clue there. Yeah. So uh, Rolf and I um, ran an experiment. It was a huge success. And we've got another one scheduled for the end of October. And um we want to work with people that are making the world more sustainable so we can actually make them sustainable inside themselves, power up, and have more impact in the world. Mm, that sounds wonderful. Mm. So whoever is listening to this call or watching this call, like never before, go check it out. <laughs> thank you, Nina. Thank you so much. And thank you, everyone, for watching or listening. And we will see you on the X the next episode. Bye for now. Thank you so much. Take care.